Getting Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Sean Martin, you can follow him at Sean Martin NFL, where they can do what? Hey, come join the conversation where today, and I meant to ask you this during our live spaces, but I have no problem bringing it to the podcast as well. Today, I was talking with one of our newest hosts that we brought on to the network here at Blogging the Boys, Jess Navarez, who does like a very short little daily Cowboys news recap, and it is fantastic. I listen to it in the car at my full-time job in the morning, and it gets me ready for the whole day as far as what I'm going to write about later. It's an awesome recap of what's going on with the Cowboys. And so she tweeted that she was at a Garth Brooks concert at AT&T Stadium, Garth in Arlington, I think something like that was the hashtag uh, she used, and the Cowboy boots, the hat, the whole deal. And so with Garth Brooks in Arlington, and we talked about already me seeing Kenny Chesney in Montana, my question for you to start us off, Mark, because I told Jess that every podcast host on the network should make sure we go to at least one country, uh, country show before the season begins. So if you could see one country show that's on tour these days right now, uh, before September and Tom Brady comes to town to play the Cowboys, who would you go see? Blake Shelton has a distillery in Fort Smith, and he actually did an impromptu visit. This is back in 2018. He did an impromptu visit to that distillery and then had a concert that night <laughs> in downtown Fort Smith on Garrison Avenue um, down by Judge Parker's courthouse and all of that. And Gwen Stefani was there too. So it was crazy. So I'd say Blake Shelton. Just, just for that reason. Yeah, I don't know how high he'd be on my list of artists I would see. I feel like it's one of those. Like if I got tickets or he was right here in Austin, I would go. I don't know if I'd go out of my way the way that I did for Montana to see Chesney, to see Shelton. But yeah, he certainly has a lot of hits. He's been doing this for a while. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if we're trying to great live show where the audience no different than Garth for Chesney was full of people in cowboy boots and cowboy hats. So you really can't go wrong when you when you're in that type of audience. So, you know, Dan Rogers from our network as well jumped in and with a shaking the head gift because he doesn't know any country uh, shows that he would want to go to. But I am laying down the law that I know this is we're time crunch at this point though, but Kenny plays in Boston where Tony Catalina is. He's gonna try to go see him. So my call out to anyone I'm blogging the boys that listens to our show is to make sure that between now and September, let's just say any concert, I'll open it up to any concert. Concert would be my preference at this point, but you know, just make sure you get a, con- a concert in because that's kind of been the trend going right now. And I hope Garth Brooks was fantastic at AT&T Stadium. Oh, good. So I'll just go listen to some of my weird instrumental um, concerts and so forth. Like if John Williams uh, has somebody playing a cover of, the Star Wars theme. I'll go to one of those concerts. Oh, that would be all. And we used to play that in my high school band. We we did some John Williams Star Wars stuff. So yeah, you're definitely speaking uh, my language there as well as stuff that would be cool to hear. But you know, I still think back to that Chesney show. So. I got to tell you, and I'm sorry, it's training camp and all this, and we're talking about John Williams. But I got to tell you, <laughs> in high school and everything, it's actually more like junior high. They thought I was the weirdo because. I would listen to, you know, soundtracks like John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and Hans Zimmer and so forth, as opposed to whatever the pop music was. I'm not listening to that. I'm listening to actual instrument, and I did it not to be countercultural. It's what I like. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always, I can't say I listen to too much instrumental, but so yeah. Now my favorite tune is what they play right 
on the Cowboys live stream right before the Mike McCarthy press conference. Oh, 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 oh. That's my favorite now. I used to run, you know, the year I started getting really into draft coverage, I used to run back to my apartment and hear that draft show theme song and be like, oh, I didn't miss it. Great. With the da, 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 that, that uh, theme at the beginning of the draft show. So, you know, the power of music can't be understated. The Cowboys, of course, use it on their practice field and everything in between. And, you know, it's, I think it's no secret at this point, as far as some of the personal things I've said, that somewhere in the intersection between sports and music is where I pretty much live my life as far as hobbies and how I've met people and things like that. So when the Cowboys weren't doing much, I took the opportunity to take a little break and go focus more on music and go see Kenny Chesney, which is fantastic. But now I get to shift more towards football because we have real football things to talk about, which feels amazing. And the Cowboys are back in Oxnard, which means the season is here. And that's such a great feeling. Yeah, it is. And right now the feeling after the first week of camp is that the secondary is ahead of the offense. And I'm going to make a prediction now. I think for week two, the secondary continues to stay ahead of the offense because J. Ron Curse has found his role. Trayvon Diggs is going into year three. Malik Hooker is two years removed now from uh, that injury in 2020. I think it was an Achilles. Um, so these guys are starting to find their role. It's year two of Dan Quinn. So I think the secondary is going to continue to stay ahead of the offense. Not that that is an indictment of the execution of the other side of the ball. Well, what's great about the secondary doing what, doing what they've done in the unpadded practices so far is the Cowboys will have their first padded practice as most of our listeners are catching up on this today, being a Monday release point. So they were off yesterday here on Sunday, and now they go into a padded practice. But what's great about the secondary standing out is, again, they're doing it without the defensive line being able to really play at a full strength. You know, you put those things on ice in terms of evaluating the offensive and defensive line, and there's going to be a lot of really close eyes on the offensive line because they've gone through so many changes there. And it's going to be kind of, I don't want to say negative, but it's going to be a more critical eye as far as making sure they made the right decision to move on from a guy like, let's say, Connor Williams and draft Tyler Smith. Or is it right to have Terrence Steele out there at right tackle? And how does Tyron Smith look at left tackle? Does he look like a player that is going to hold up more than maybe he has at certain points in recent history this season? So the offensive line has more concerns, whereas the defensive line is still going to be watched closely, but there's more excitement and anticipation for what they can do. So when those battles get underway, the sky is really the limit for the secondary. If if the quarterback is going to be pressured, if you're going to have a guy like Parsons or Demarcus Lawrence in Prescott's lap more times than not, forcing some even even more bad throws that the secondary can get under. So yeah, the fact that they're flying around, get, putting an emphasis on getting their hands on the ball, which they did, of course, so well last year, leading the NFL in turnovers without the defensive line being much of a presence is either going to be a really bad sign for the offensive line specifically moving forward, or it's just going to show that this defense, and Jerry Jones said this as well, is truly just a part of the identity of this team right now. And it's not only just a compliment to the offense, but this is truly at this point in year two for Dan Quinn, a defense that can win this team games, which at times they had to do last year even, and can take over games and shut things down to give the offense a chance to battle through some of those inconsistencies they've had and to find the running game or Whatever we're, end up, whatever we're going to end up saying about the offense is going to be complemented by a secondary that flies around, a defensive line that has a good amount of depth to it, and we all get to see what happens when the pads come on this Yeah, week. and isn't it crazy that there's been a 
weeks worth of practices, yet there's been no hitting. You even have an offensive lineman who strained his shoulder and Matt well, let's go, but there's been no pads, no hitting just yet. Yeah, it's something to ease into, you know, some of the new rules the Cowboys uh, over the past couple of years, the Cowboys haven't exactly been great at following to a T at all times. You know, it does pop up every now and then that they've gotten fined for different practice violations and excessive uh, hitting and physicality and things like that. So you know, to a certain extent, you can live, live with those things because you want to build a physical football team. This team is still, and Joey, again, make your headlines with this, still built on the run, at least according to your owner and GM. So, you know, if you're going to be built around Ezekiel Elliott, you better find a way to start hitting and practice and being physical because that's the type of play that he brings. And if he means as much as they say that, you know, he still does, then this whole team has to keep an eye on what Elliott's going to be when the padded practices start. So that begins this week. But, yeah, you know, through the first week, there are certain position groups that you pretty much just have to put on ice in terms of evaluating. And one of those position groups is where your first-round pick is in Tyler Smith. So, you know, it's never great when you start off the draft of a player that you haven't really been able to evaluate too much yet. But Smith has done all the right things up to this point through OTAs and the extra work he's put in. And he's caught the eye of veterans like Zach Martin Tyrant Smith and asking the right questions, all that. So certainly he could be doing worse, but he's gotten off to the right start. But now the real test starts when the pads come on for all of these guys and the hitting begins in practice for Elliott and keeping Prescott upright and Tyler Smith out there, left guard, and the secondary continuing to try to make plays. A lot to look forward to in these more physical practices. For sure. And as the physical practices start up, uh, the Cowboys are still trying to add talent to the roster they did so with Cavante um, yeah Cavante Turpin the former TCU product he played in the USFL this past season and it looks like the Cowboys are going to have him contribute as a as a returner uh, maybe with a little bit as a slot receiver and then they worked out Tackerist McKinley who was the edge defender with the uh, Atlanta Falcons in Dan Quinn's tenure. Now, Turpin's on the team. McKinley, I think they're just kicking the tires on. But what do you think the Cowboys look like if Turpin and McKinley stick around? I might be reading too much into this, but certainly it would fit the theme of you know just Cowboys fans being overall down on this team this offseason. And I've, and I've been right there with them at times as well. But then we try to find optimistic things to look at as well. You try to be down the middle as much as you can, like I've already talked about on this show here before. But So in this case, I may be reading too much into this, but I think it's a really bad look that, you know, the first three rounds of this draft, the Cowboys, of course, went offensive line, defensive line, and then wide receiver Jalen Tolbert. So none of those things were a surprise. Maybe the order they did them in and the prospects they picked and where they picked them, there was some surprise, there was some nuance, or there were some things that, you know, you didn't expect to happen leading up to that 24th pick that ultimately led you to Smith, or if you could have had one of those receivers that flew off the board right before you, maybe you went that route. But in some order, we were not surprised at all that they went with those three position groups. We all knew those were the needs, and they were going to address them. It was just a matter of how, and they decided on how being offensive line first, defensive end second, and receiver third. And already, putting behind everything that Stephen Jones has said about not feeling like they really needed to go out in free agency or trying to manage the cap just for the guys that they have. And we like our guys, plus who we're going to draft, so we don't need 
any of these outside players. And already all three of those positions have been troubling enough to where you've had to do some kind of extra work just a week in the training camp. You know, offensive line, you haven't really touched much because, again, it's a group that you put on ice until the pads come on. But even before the pads came on, you lost Matt Oletzko, your fifth-round rookie, to an injury that's going to take him off the field for some time. So they're not off to the best start depth-wise there, and we could see a corresponding move to get more tackle depth in here. Defensive end, the reports have been positive on Sam Williams, but I guess not enough to the point where you didn't at least consider Ty McKinley. Nothing's imminent with him at the moment, but still you felt like you needed to look at another defensive end to add to this group that still has Sam Williams. And then receiver, you brought in another name already with Turpin. I know he might be more of a special teams guy, and you know even still you could have addressed that in the offseason as well. So, yeah, we all knew what this team's needs were going into the draft, and yes, we give them credit for addressing them, but also it just puts the spotlight back on why didn't you do more before the draft so that you could have had these deaf options worked out and then maybe even drafted a different way. I'm not saying that we're not excited about what Smith is going to bring, what Williams is going to bring, and Torbert. I, I'm high on all three of them right now. I think they'll all be plus starters at some point. They're all going to contribute. But is that enough based on just how they're acting right now at the start of the camp, still feeling, feeling like they need to address those positions? It's probably not. And, you know, it takes depth to win late into the season, which is something they didn't do last season. And that's already being tested in Oxnard. Well, I think with Tack McKinley, they brought him in because they wanted to get a look on how he is coming off of his injury. And also, teams usually just evaluate players. For example, um, I would say in what I call the control group, there was there's a team that's really banking on a rookie running back to win the position battle by the end of the season, and they brought in on Tuesday four running backs to, for tryouts, one of them being Max Borgie um, from, I believe, Washington. Um, so they, so usually when teams bring in guys, they're just taking a look at it, and it's not necessarily an indictment on the position as much as evaluation of, of what could be out there should they need to tap into it. With Turpin, I think – Given that it's a 90-man roster, you've got training camp, you've got preseason, the preseason games, you want to keep Tony Pollard fresh, and you want to see if you can come up with someone that can reasonably take Pollard's return game reps so that you can keep him fresh for the offensive series when you're doing more things like having uh, Pollard on the field at the same time as Ezekiel Elliott, or Heaven forbid he's the feature back because Elliot's sidelined with some kind of ding, you know, because he's dinged up. So I think when they brought in Turpin, that's really what that is. And the whole slot receiver thing is just kind of a fantasy, if you will, because it's Jalen Tolbert and Simi Fajoko and Noah Brown. And those guys, we'll talk more about the trio later on in the podcast, but it's their job to win. It's Turpin's job to try to get one of those returner spots. And so that's how I look at it in terms of just Turpin and McKinley. And this probably says more about Pollard, who we kind of know how the Cowboys feel about him. And we also know how very clearly how Jerry Jones feels about the player ahead of Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, but when he was asked about Turpin, he said, I'd like to see him do anything that we're going to do 
Um, with Pollard, I like to see him do all of that. We just need to get him in creative situations to get the ball and get the touches. And, you know, that's kind of surprising to hear because Turpin, I think these coaches are still even figuring out what they have there. And he's got a long way to go to prove he could be more than just a guy who helps your backup quarterbacks during the preseason games and then helps you deaf and your practice squad throughout the year maybe. And, you know, at that point, still a far away from really contributing with Dak Prescott and being a guy Prescott can trust to get the ball to, even though you know they're still figuring out who's going to play behind C.D. Lamb. So they know what they have in Pollard. They're figuring it out with Turpin. And yeah, I guess they see the upside for him to be that similar type of player, like you said. But we also expect Pollard to be more of an established part of this offense, whereas Turpin has to earn those, you know, that, those opportunities as well. And Pollard's proven that he can be that guy already. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That leads into Ezekiel Elliott and his future this season. How long do you think that he can remain the featured back? Because they're already talking about uh, Elliott and Pollard being in the same formation on the field and Pollard getting a, a little more touches. Just Do you think that Elliott is going to take more of a uh, – complimentary role to Pollard instead of vice versa? I think the answer to that question is directly tied to how secure head coach Mike McCarthy feels about his job. And he has made no qualms whatsoever about the fact that, you know, he feels and even echoing that Jerry feels that the media has really pushed something that isn't there when it comes to the pressure being on him. And we, you know, we have no idea how true it is or not until they get out on the field and either perform or don't perform. And that's how we'll see, you know, what McCarthy's future holds at this pivotal point in the Cowboys roster build right now. So I think the answer to that's directly tied to, you know, again, if he feels like he really has time to build this thing and McCarthy's the guy no matter what, and he feels that he can get by just continuing to do what the Joneses want him to do type of deal. And 
continue to feature you know the players that not only they want to see feature but that Kellen Moore knows he can get the most out of then yes Ezekiel Elliott pretty much from start to finish again this year for better or worse is going to be your featured back and Pollard's going to have whatever meat is left on the bone from there um, but again if McCarthy is truly coaching for his job which most of us think that to some extent he is then I think Elliott still has an effective season you still see him to whatever definition a feature back is you still see him as that guy but I do think you see more power just because you're gonna to have to get creative again this year they the Cowboys learned the hard way that offensive trends get figured out things get you know your tendencies get picked up by defensive coordinators that have a week to prepare for you so yeah right now going to the start of the season any DC that's playing the Cowboys still has to worry about Elliott I think I, I still think he garners a lot of respect from the opposing defenses and helps Prescott and the receivers in that way. But, yeah, as the season goes on, he's going to either continue to be that player, which has been a struggle for him as of late, or you're going to have to see more Tony Pollard because you have coaches on the offensive side of the ball that are under a lot of pressure and are going to have to get results, and it's a results-driven league. And, you know, I don't think turning around and handing the ball to Elliott for a minimal gain and then forcing Prescott to try to throw to C.D. Lamb when the whole stadium knows the ball is going to C.D. Lamb on a third and long type of situation is what anybody wants to see, the Joneses included. So if any of those scenarios play out, then Pollard can be your answer there if they give him the opportunity. But in between that, yeah, Elliott is still going to be your feature back. He's still going to get the bulk of the carries. He can still do some things, catching the ball out of the backfield. And, you know, we know what he is at this point. And he's going to be that guy for you to start the season and to hopefully end the season where they want to go, which is not stumbling into the playoffs like they did this year, but actually catching their stride in the ground game and the throwing game uh, when, when the playoff time comes around. I could see a scenario where Ezekiel Elliott gets dinged up like he did in week six, let's say, and then oh, suddenly, and I don't know if it would happen if they're trying to conceal it type of thing. I think it'd have to be a little more uh, conspicuous. Like he shows up on the injury report and then well, he's listed as questionable. Um, and then Pollard just starts getting more of the carries, more of the touches. I could see a scenario like that. I think that that would be where Pollard takes over as the featured back. Just kind of like, oh, Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, just the availability gave us no choice. And, you know, we're riding the hot hand. We're doing hot hand theory now because it's convenient. Well, I could definitely see that. Besides the obvious answers of any other NFC East rival, you know, and the Eagles probably being at the forefront of this list, what team would bother you the most to see Tony Pollard go to and then have that breakout type of year? Because I feel like this is a storyline that we've been preparing for for years at this point, which is which feels weird as far as like, oh man, Pollard's going to look so good and make us look so stupid when he breaks out for X teams. Uh, so yeah, besides the obvious of him doing it in the division and playing you twice a year, where would you at least like to see? Uh, Power move on to and continue to be the player that you know he's shown a little bit of here in Dallas, New Orleans, and then he's the new Camara. Yeah, and then like Sean Payton's like getting asked questions about it, like, oh, did you see what you know the Saints are doing with uh, you know your former team is doing with this Tony Pollard guy now, and then they tie in the Cowboys thing. So yeah, it would just be the perfect storm. If the 49ers didn't just extend Debo Samuel, I know he was at the top of this theoretical list for 
myself and a lot of Cowboys fans to go, you know, Pollard to kind of be that more dynamic uh, Debo Samuel type of guy. The 49ers love the physicality that Samuel runs for. I mean, that was on clear display in that wild card game against the Cowboys as far as kind of taking them by surprise, the way he could cut it up between the tackles and just smashing the guys like Leighton Vanderess and even Parsons and just kind of take them for a ride up the field and be this physical type of back who also, of course, catches passes as a natural wide receiver. So Powell's not quite that guy, but you can still see Kyle Sanhan, of course, getting the ball in his hands and jet sweeps and passing game and option game with Trey Lance, all those things. But, you know, still a possibility because Samuel and Paula do play different positions, but the Niners do have Debo Samuel locked up for now. Yeah, they do. And the Cowboys, that's something they're going to have to really monitor is the receiver contracts that Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown got this offseason and how that figures into keeping C.D. Lamb. But for now, they got him under the rookie contract. They have a fifth-year option that they can deploy, so no big deal. Now they got to figure out who's going to be that other member of what Michael Gallup referred to as the trio. Obviously, Gallup's referencing himself and Lamb, but who's the third? Who would you put as the third for the new trio well, it's so wide open right now. I mean, yeah, this is something we might have to revisit almost every week here on the show, and the padded practices will add another element to it. Yeah, yeah. Who's the leader in the clubhouse right now? Who's, yeah, I mean, who's, who's early the leader on, in the clubhouse, let's say, right now? Well, TJ Vassar's made some some splash plays, but you got to like what Noah Brown has done, you know, even because we've seen him do it at game speed and on game days. That's why he gets that leader in the clubhouse position because, you know, when Brown gets – makes plays when he gets the opportunity and he doesn't get them often, but yeah, when they put him out there, they trust that he can make a play. And you, you know, you can't say the same about some of these down the roster guys. They're fighting like how to get there and to prove that they can be those guys. It's so good for them. And of course the team hopes that one or two of them will consistently be that playmaker that they can take into the season because they're going to need it. But Brown has already been there and he stuck around so long that it is good to see him finally get maybe a bigger opportunity. So that scramble drill type of receiver that the Cowboys, I feel like, had in Michael Gallup, but now Gallup is more of a structured part of the offense. He's going to be your true number two when he comes back. So now that that need gets bigger for that kind of scramble drill, light in a play, play breaks down, Prescott's under pressure type of receiver. That need has to be filled by somebody other than Gallup. And it's hard to predict, you know, who fits that best. Cedric Wilson was a guy who did that pretty well. And, of course, he's gone now to the Miami Dolphins as well. And I think Noah Brown can do some of those things as well, and he's proven that so far on scramble drills and red zone drills as well in Oxnard. Yeah, Brown was a guy that kind of got his development stunted and supplanted a little bit by the introduction of Michael Gallup, who was a third-round pick in 2018. Because you got to remember, Brown was taken in the seventh round in 2017, and then same draft that they get Gallup, they get Cedric Wilson in, uh, you know, the sixth round. Then Brown misses 2019 due to an injury. And uh, so, you know, he like I said, he kind of got supplanted a little bit. I mean, he's kind of like the, the Fredo Corleone. He got stepped over. He got stepped over, Sean. And, but now's a chance for him to step up. Every time he's had that chance to step up, he's been there, though. That's what I'm saying. He's he's proven it on the field, and that's huge this year because you have you don't have many guys who have 
true on-field reps at Prescott that proves they can be the guy that's there for him. So you know, I already mentioned earlier in the show, you know, do you want to be throwing third and on passes to see the lamb when you know the ball is going that way and you have a very low chance of converting? Or do you want a guy like Brown that the defense probably isn't going to be suspecting does anything for you and can catch them off guard but can still make a play for you? So do you want him going for those one-on-one balls or do you want a contested third or am all the time being your best offense? So, you know, there's a stark difference between those two things. And, you know, Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy both would tell you that, of course, they want the one-on-one matchups and the easy throws for Prescott, who has shown that he kind of has a more concise motion and a better throwing velocity so far in camp. So, yeah, the ball needs to come out of Prescott's hands quickly to be effective. We've seen that throughout his career. And now, uh, you know, Brown could be the beneficiary of that as kind of that big-bodied, go-over-the-middle, box-guy-out type of receiver. Yeah, and I think Dallas got a good glimpse of what Brown might provide in the Thanksgiving matchup against the Raiders when Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb were out. So you had Gallup and then Noah Brown, Cedric Wilson, and Brown, he caught six passes for 53 yards, played a career-high 69 offensive snaps, I think that's when they took a look at it and they were like, hey, you know, I'm, we we might have one on our roster right here. Uh, fortify, go get Jalen Tolbert. Brown's on the one-year contract, but let's give him a chance. And I think that's partly why he's the leader in the clubhouse right now is because he's got um, a knowledge of the offense little bit more chemistry with Dak Prescott and that's why it's manifesting through one week of training camp practice where's Sparta New Jersey by the way Sean Sparta I think it's the north like north is central part of the state all right so here's what we got to find out we got to find out whether sense. or not Brown is calling it a Taylor ham sandwich or a pork roll sandwich we need to know before we advance him any further in the clubhouse. I'm zooming. I'm zooming out on a map as we speak, and I could. Oh yeah, it's way. Okay, so Sparta is pretty significantly up in the north part of the state, very close to the New York border, and so unfortunately, it hurts my heart to say, but there's a good chance that being that far north, almost out of the state entirely, uh, that he calls it Taylor. All right. Hill. Well, he's gonna have to find a new team after cut down then that's all i can say well he played for garrett so i and I, i'd like to think garrett calls a pork roll it would break my heart to find out anything else so you know if he survived that he could stick around well, he went to princeton though Is, isn't princeton up there near the uh, hudson river princeton's not as north as sparta but i mean it's also an ivy league school so like it's a good education and I, anyone that's well educated enough to to uh to know the right thing to call is not going to call it taylor ham there you go. And, yeah, and, again, with Noah Brown, I, I don't think it's an indictment on anyone that he's where he is after one week of training. I mean, we still got – you know, everyone knows the attrition of training camp, okay? I don't want to talk about it, but you've still got that uh, yet to play itself out as you have another two – full weeks of camp before they play their first preseason game on October I mean on August 13th so I I 
don't think you should be down on Jalen Tolbert right now. I don't think you should give up on Simi Fajoko. I don't think that the Noah Brown fan club should uh, go ahead and order their pork roll sandwiches. Is that a thing? Where, where do I get? Yeah, my I don't think I don't think it's ready for any of that just yet. It's just one week of camp, but I think it does present a lot of interesting roster decision. Hey, I got to tell you, if Noah Brown it does become the number three, that really is a good thing because his blocking is something that is valuable and he can help set the edge. And he's someone that Ezekiel Elliott endorsed for his blocking at Ohio State. So I think it gives them a lot more versatility in terms of play calling if he really truly legitimately ascends to that number three spot. And I've mentioned kind of this idea before, and every time I bring this up, it always, at least early in the offseason, it felt like just kind of drinking the Kool-Aid for this team. Right? It, it doesn't feel, you know, truly accurate to what might play out. But now I feel like it's time to bring it back up just because we are closer to actually figuring out if it's going to be true or not. We have, you know, preseason games, the rest of camp, and the season right upon us. So, the time to actually get this answer is pretty much here. So I'll say, you know, you look at the Cowboys receivers and the changes they've made. And of course we'd all like to still have the star power and, you know, you'd like to try to run it back with Cooper Gallup and I am and see what can happen. But to some extent, yeah, you saw those three out there at the same time, not as often as you would have liked, but when they were out there, yeah, of course on paper, it should have worked and been this great thing. And for very few games it was, but for the most part, it just wasn't, you know, for one reason or another. And one of those reasons, I think, again, is that, you know, it just it never became clear what everybody's role was in the offense. It was too much of getting caught up in the hype that, oh, they have all these these free receivers. Any one of them could really be a number one somewhere, probably gallops at the very least or a high-end number two that's pretty much playing as a number three right now when he had Lamb and, and Cooper out there with him. But I think that got, you know, not confusing to an extent, but it just got too much into not being able to stay within the scheme and not being able to stay within what the design of the offense is when you're snapping the ball every time, pretty much saying, oh, we don't know, you know, who who our primary is on this play. We're pretty much just anyone that's going to get open, you know. And they're kind of running routes individually for themselves, knowing that the ball can come their way at any point because they're all good enough to win on any given snap. Well, now, this is, and we again, we're going to find out very quickly if this is a good thing or if it's going to go horribly wrong, which is still a, possi- a possibility for these receivers. But now there's clear structure to it. C.D. Lamb is the guy who needs to get the ball in his hands a ton, and they're going to have to scheme a lot of different ways to, to do that. But then beyond that, you know, you can find these other receivers helping Lamb or helping Gallup when he comes back be that guy. And I think Noah Brown probably understands that better than maybe any, any other receiver on this roster right now as far as running around, knowing the ball's not coming my way. This isn't my primary assignment, but my job is to go clear out the safety over here so that Lamb can have space to run after the catch or something like that. So you didn't really have that when you had three, like I said, wannabe potential number number one receivers trying to run around out there and make every play that was coming their way from Prescott. And now Prescott has a clear progression of, okay, here's what Lamb is going to do. Here's how you know Noah Brown is coming off the line just trying to help see the Lamb get open on the play. Here's where I know Gallup is later in the down. Here's James Washington or Jalen Tolbert trying to stretch the field. So you have definitely a more defined kind of depth chart and defined roles for what these receivers can do. And if Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy 
who comes from a West Coast background where receivers always need to play that way, can make that work, then that's where the upside is for these receivers compared to where it was when you had Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb all trying to make it work at the same time, which sort of worked, of course, a lot better. Again, I'll say that, but it just flat out didn't. Yeah, I think some of it, too, was the uh, the availability issues with Amari Cooper. He only missed, by the way, three games, folks, for him to get the availability um, <laughs> comment levied at him. Uh, you had Michael Gallup, who he played nine games last year. And C.D. Lamb, he played 16. He really only missed the Thanksgiving game due to a concussion short week. But I think it was looking at that and – the fact that CeeDee Lamb, among those guys, led the team in targets with 120. And then the second, the guy in number two, Dalton Schultz. So there's your tight end. Ezekiel Elliott at three. Well, four because Cooper was tied. But with 65. So really, I think personnel-wise, they looked at it and they said, all we got to do, we got everybody. We got the number one. We got the number two. All we and Gallup's still going to be here. All we got to do is replace Cedric Wilson. I think that's actually what their personnel moves throughout the offseason were about was replacing Cedric Wilson, not Amari Cooper. Yeah, we did some free agency preview type of stuff here on Hidden Yardage, and I would have liked to have Cedric Wilson back. I know I'm not alone in that fault with Cowboys fans who wanted him back if you were going to move on from Cooper, which the writing was a little bit on the wall for us. So, you know, you lose one receiver and you have another pretty big name that's hitting free agency at the same time. You hope to be able to keep one of them, but it didn't work out for Wilson to still be here. And so whether it's some mix of Pollard or Turpin or Washington and Tolbert being that guy who can, you know, by committee in some ways, replace what you had in Wilson, then you could be in good shape, like you said, if you if you truly do feel like you have everything else replaced or everything else upgraded at receiver compared to what you had last year other than Wilson then you certainly have enough names that can bring you that Cedric Wilson type of role uh, in this year's offense. Yep. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get to Cowboys birthdays. This week, on Monday, turning 39 years old, is Bobby Carpenter, former first-round pick taken in 06 from Ohio State. He was one of Bill Parcell's pet cats, and he never amounted to anything, at least for the Cowboys. And he was off the team. Uh, they traded him in, in the 2010 preseason for Alex Barron, who then held at right tackle and cost Dallas a week one win and a game-winning touchdown, Romo through to Roy Williams. He cost him that with a holding call. Thanks, Bobby Carpenter. Um, and... So, yeah, he turns 39 years old. On Tuesday, Tom Rafferty turned 68. He played center for Dallas from 1976 to 1989. And he has the distinction of being the only guy to take a, to have Roger Staubach take a snap from him and Troy Aikman. Tom Rafferty turned 68 on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Lance Allworth, Bambi. He played with, he was well known for his time with the AFL's San Diego Chargers. But when Lance Rensel, you know, got in some off field trouble after the 1970 season, Dallas traded for a new number 19 in Lance Allworth, who played with the Cowboys from 1971 to 1972, meaning he was part of that Super Bowl VI 
team. He turns 82 years old on Wednesday. And then also on Wednesday, Benson Mayoa turns 31 years old. How bad was the 2016 Dallas Cowboys pass rush? So bad that Benson Mayoa, a free agent, led it with six. That's how bad it was. Remember that, Sean? Well, I'm kind of speechless for a second there because, yeah, I remember Mayo because I was going to talk about him as being kind of a scouting miss that I had. I watched his tape, wrote up a report on pretty much every new free agent that the Cowboys were bringing in at that time to sharpen that skill. And, you know, I, I kind of liked what – I saw what they saw in Mayo. I, I saw the scheme fit and the potential. And, of course, he never realized it fully here, was never, you know, an impact, great type of player or anything like that. But, yeah, then you then remind me that – and I would have never even realized this that he led the team in sacks so I guess in some ways he was you know what I saw on tape and and good that way but no I think it's more so like you said the rest of the talent around him being not up to par so you, know, you got to always remember your scouting misses and I know I'm not alone because it goes all the way up to the Dallas front office when it comes to not getting a player that they truly expected and may or, or not just having enough talent around him to be that type of guy anyway that's a great fact you had in there as well though about a Tom Rafferty of the Starback and Aikman thing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, but uh, that can only happen when you play throughout the horrendous 80s and then don't get cut by Jimmy Johnson and sent to the asthma field and you're starting for the 89 Cowboys. But with <laughs> Benson Mayoa, they use another product of that Rod Marinelli scheme of um, we'll, we'll just coach up the sacks. I coach up anybody. We'll just get anybody yeah. to uh, suit up and rush off the edge. Never mind <laughs> in Chicago, Rod Marinelli was doing that with, you know, Julius Peppers. So I don't know why they believe that unless they were being cheap and they just believe Tony Romo and Dak Prescott could mask everything. Yeah, some dark days for those defensive lines. And, you know, Dan Quinn kind of has the same philosophy as Marinelli, though, about coaching up defensive linemen. The only thing is he believes in – actually bringing in the waves of talent that, you know, truly make a difference out there on the field. And him and McCarthy are the ones who had the vision for Mika Parsons to be who he is as far as not only a pass rusher, but a hybrid linebacker and matchup nightmare for offenses. So there are similarities between what we went through with Marinelli and what we have in Quinn now. Just the only upside of Quinn is he consistently puts players in the best position to succeed and he gets the right players to, you know, have the depth if somebody goes down and, he has a truly talented, pretty deep, uh, versatile roster right now that we're going to get to see put the pads on this week and go challenge Dak Prescott's offense, which is going to get really fun from here. By the way, also, I have uh, Blake Selton's tour dates up. you got three chances to go see him in August and September. So you got Mount Pleasant, Michigan on August 13th. you got – he goes international in Canada on August 27th. I've been to Canada, but not where uh, wherever the hell this is. Uh, that he's playing at the YQM Country Fest. And then Saturday, September 3rd, cutting it close to the start of the season, of course, but he'll be in Washington for the Washington State Fair. So you got to book some travel if you want to get your Blake Sutton concert in before the season. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, I'll do it if he gives me some of his whiskey. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, for a bottle of whiskey, I'll do it. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, Sean and I, we're going to work on the great pork roll meetup in Dallas uh, some between the 8th and the 11th, well, I'm sorry, 9th and the 12th of this month. And so that gives us about 
two weeks to prep for it, Sean. Yeah, I don't know if anyone will remember this. I kind of just dropped it in last week, but I mentioned last week that I met someone here in Austin that was that's originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and I don't know much about what the pizza places and Italian food scene is like in Boston, but I imagine they have some pretty good places. So I a bit tentatively recommended a pizza place that I like here in Texas so far called Brooklyn Pie Company for her to try and just to round out the story there real quick, she uh, did try it and said that it was very good and was held up to the standards that she's used to from uh, everywhere, including Boston that she's lived. So, you know, to be to only be here for about a year and a half and to be at the point where I could recommend a place that people enjoy was kind of fun. So, yeah, shout out to our Brooklyn Pie Company for making some pretty authentic New York-style uh, pizza right here in Texas. Yep, and we can't wait to see what happens in Dallas with the pork roll sandwich. Hopefully it's like what happens with the uh, Brooklyn Pie Company. All right, you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. Follow us on Apple. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Follow Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me at The Real Mark Lane. So there it is. Yeah.